0: Hello, and welcome to A Glimpse Into The Future. My name is Rigas Hadzilakos, and in this podcast series, I talk to some of the world's leading experts to better understand how new technologies and ideas will shape our future. In this episode, I talk to Justine Cassel, professor at Carnegie Mellon University and associate dean for technology, strategy, and impact. Justine is also a co-chair of the World Economic Forum's Council on the Future of Computing. Welcome, Justine, thank you for your time. Thank you very much. So, where are we now in our journey towards strong computational power? Have we reached the plateau? Are there something new coming up?
1: There is a question about whether Moore's law um, is still applicable. Uh, on the other hand, there are new techniques that seem like they're going to move past the current state of computing in big leaps so that the future is really going to be quite different from the present. Not incremental change, but big steps forward. And some of those advances are quantum computing, which can solve problems about the physical world, simulate problems in the physical world in ways that current computing can't. Um, There are new materials being used that are more, more powerful than the silicon chips that we have today and that can allow us to do quite exciting things um, on specifically designed uh, chips made out of brand new materials. And in fact, there's, there's some way in which quantum and materials approaches to building computers are almost in a race um, to see who's going to build the next most powerful computer. So those are some of the advances. There are also advances in artificial intelligence that are very exciting. And we have to remember that artificial intelligence is not a thing. It's not an artifact or a a computer or even a kind of system. It's a technique for modeling human behavior and building systems that act like humans, Or Building systems that can achieve the same kinds of goals as humans, but even better than humans do. Sometimes we forget what AI is, and so I like to, to remind people of that fact.
0: So I know you have been working on a specific, uh, specifically on the human machine interaction angle of, uh, of AI, and how do you teach? a computer if you want to, to be able to interact with, uh, with human beings. Tell us a bit more Correct. about that. What is this field? All about?
1: So human-computer interaction is a really interesting discipline. The first use of the term was in a book by a Carnegie Mellon uh, alumnus. Uh, and in fact, the Department of Human-Computer Interaction at Carnegie Mellon was the first HCI department. It's a field that lies at the nexus of the social sciences and computer science. Also design today plays a very big role in design thinking. So human-computer interaction asks how we can build computers that are more suited to um, allowing humans to use them, that are easier for humans to use, and how we can use understanding humans interacting with technology to improve the technology that we build. So one of the things that we're seeing today in HCI is that um, input into devices is getting smaller and smaller. Devices themselves are getting smaller and smaller. And the way you interact with a smartphone isn't the way you interact with your laptop computer. Laptop computer has keys, but a smartphone is so small that our fingers are too big to type on it, and yet um, smartphones and smart watches are really the future of computing devices. So what do we do to make input possible? Smart devices like watches, in particular, have amplified the demand for speech recognition that works well in noisy environments, and have amplified the demand for new modes of input. For example, one quite exciting idea is that when you type on a keyboard on your watch, you would hit three keys because your finger is too large to hit Mm -hmm. fewer than three keys. But those three keys would then pop up in a larger size and you would be able to choose one of them. So that's one way of thinking about that. Another kind of input device is the human body. Uh, And so we're starting to see Um, people using the skin, researchers using the skin and the electrical pulses in the skin as a way of sending input into your phone or your, um, your watch. So you can imagine that you would hold your wrist out and type with your other hand on your wrist and that whatever you typed on your own body would make its way into your phone or your watch.
0: So... These, these are all amazing developments in computing uh, and in the way that we interact with computing. Is there uh, a communication between these different branches of advances in computer? Do, do you talk with quantum computing <laughs> specialists to see how that will affect yeah. uh, AI and how it will affect the way that systems interact with humans?
1: Certainly, because really today I think what's driving the, um, the fast movement forward in artificial intelligence is machine learning. Yeah, so. That is computers that can learn on their own from data about people and about the world. And machine re- learning is changing so rapidly um, and is so capable of learning quickly and learning in um, real time that that's pushed AI forward. So those two fields definitely talk to one another. And then in HCI, we use machine learning to collect data about people and to devise systems that adapt better to people. So in my own work, for example, I've been looking at socially aware systems. Um, For example, virtual humans that are aware of the human ability to form a relationship. And the virtual human, therefore, Um, uses its social skills to build a relationship with the person, which helps the person trust the system, and therefore reveal more about him or herself, and therefore make the computer's job easier to personalize the information it gives to the person. So that's a uh, lovely example of a new AI approach that is socially aware artificial intelligence. And it's built using um, machine learning algorithms that crunch through data about human-human social interaction to devise ways for computers to act like humans along the social dimension.
0: So, given all of these amazing developments in the computing space, and specifically (laughs) in AI, but also others, Taking into account what we have today, where do you see how do how would our world change in the next ten years with all of these? where would we see it? We we'll see it in education, we we'll see it in health, we we'll see it in mobility, in everyday life.
1: I think you've named three very important applications. Certainly in health, where machine learning is helping us to personalize approaches to cures for diseases as serious as cancer. Um, by crunching through data about genetic anomalies and finding cures that fit one particular person's genetic anomalies. Um, We're seeing it in education, where cognitive tutors and other kinds of systems personalize education to a particular student by crunching through data uh, of other students learning the same subjects and what worked for them and what didn't work for them. And uh, we're certainly seeing it in mobile commerce, um, where virtually all commerce is moving online in many, many different countries. Um, And we're seeing it in cars, in terms of self-driving vehicles. Really, I would say that there's barely an object that we interact with during the day that doesn't have a computer in it.
0: So it, it sounds a bit of a cliché, but the future is now. As we're discussing all of these things, these things are already already here.
1: The future so is now, yep.
0: So in 10 years, is there any prediction we can make if it's already so widely available uh, with all of this amazing computing power and the way it interacts with us? Uh, will systems be able to adapt to this huge change that these technologies are are bringing forward then.
1: I think we need to, um, in some sense, tutor CEOs and managers to adapt their approaches to um, the new computers that are coming into existence. And um, we need to think carefully about whether these AI devices are going to be regulated in a top-down way or whether, instead, we're going to design education for um, AI researchers that teaches them about what, uh, what aspects of, of AI need to be um, carefully thought through for society to prosper.
0: So in your academic community, do you already see a big trend? of this understanding that the development of AI needs to be thought of very, very carefully, or does the excitement about discovering new things and implementing new things override that?
1: I think there's a lot of excitement, but I think there's also increasing attention played to values. So when we pay attention to values, we think about how AI can solve social justice problems, how can we reduce inequality, how can we Um, promote social justice.
0: So what about regulators? Uh, Do they understand the the changes that are taking place? Uh, How do they get informed to to provide the appropriate regulatory framework for all these changes?
1: I've seen two approaches to regulation this week in Davos. One is we need to regulate and very, very quickly before these um, systems get out of control. And the other is we need to ensure that we don't regulate so quickly that we regulate before we understand the phenomena. And I would be more on the side of the second approach because I think uh, we've seen examples of where regulation has really backfired. For example, um, uh, refusing to let images, image data, be released to certain people who need it. And uh, the example that I was given this morning in the informal gathering of um, world economic leaders was that we, now that that regulation has been overturned, we can actually see where um, slave fishermen boats are located and help to release those fishermen. Whereas when those images were forbidden, the people who needed to manage this illegal activity had no access to data about where they where it was happening.
0: So you have the feeling that uh, one of the two is going to prevail or you feel there will be no coordinated international response to the the widespread use of these amazing computers and their Mm -hmm. interaction with us?
1: I believe that the next step is all about hope versus fear. Mm -hmm. And perhaps not surprisingly, this is a theme we see in politics today as well. Is the population of the world going to hold on to hope about a positive future that can result from new technologies and from other advances in the world? Or is the population going to fall into a state of fear about what could happen to them in a world of new technological advances and thereby insist on regulation that could stop the flow of innovation? I hope that we remain hopeful.
0: Me too. Thank you very much Justin for your time. Thank you. That was Justin Cassell, professor at Carnegie Mellon University and Associate Dean for Technology Strategy and Impact. My name is Rigas Hadzilakos, and that was all from this episode of A Glimpse into the Future.